And then also I think not being afraid to publicize or share your wins, you know, there's an art to that too, like the humble brag. Welcome to the Ad Valued Entrepreneurs Podcast, where we're on a mission to end entrepreneurial unhappiness. If you're an entrepreneur with a burning desire to change the world, this podcast is for you. We're here to help you transform your life and business so that you can achieve the freedom and fulfillment you crave. This show is dedicated to entrepreneurs who want more out of their life, more meaning, more purpose, and ultimately, more happiness. You deserve it all, and it's possible. I'm your host, Robert Peterson, pastor turned life coach for business owners. I believe that success without happiness is not true success at all, but there's always hope for those who are willing to take action. Join us every week as we bring you inspiring leaders and messages that will help you on your journey towards success. Thank you for investing your time with us today. Let's get started. Our guest today is considered by many to be the world's best active copywriter, having sold over $1 billion in products and services with his words. Stephen Georgi is an accomplished entrepreneur who has founded or co-founded nine different businesses that have scaled to at least seven figures, with several of those businesses reaching the eight or nine figure mark. Robert chats with Stefan Georgi, copywriter extraordinaire. Stefan shares not just some copywriting tips, but business skills that all entrepreneurs need to hear. He saw the gig lifestyle and made himself an expert to build and market businesses. Well, Stefan, thank you so much for joining me today. Excited to have this conversation and look forward to sharing your wisdom with our audience. Absolutely. I'm really glad to be here. Thank you for having me. So typically, I have our guests share their entrepreneurial journey and, and what's led them to the impact they're making today. Cool. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. You want me to go ahead and jump right in here? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So uh, I guess the place to start would be 2011. I was working in a outdoor school in Marble Falls, Texas. So what's an outdoor school? Like a... Uh, outdoor ed type of place where it was a summer camp during the summer. And then during the fall and spring, it was a um, place like where kids from around Texas would come in and learn about science and nature, living off the land, water quality, all these sorts of things. So I was living in a double wide trailer on the camp property with a roommate and five other trailer mates teaching kids about nature and things like that. And really loving life, honestly. Uh, getting paid two hundred dollars a week, and but I got free camp food. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but really, really enjoyed it. So I thought, you know, that was what I was going to do for the next decade plus of my life was sort of be an, an outdoor ed instructor type of person. Uh, but then, very suddenly, my uh, dad got diagnosed with with cancer. So I hiked up a mountain with him, and I like April of uh, two thousand eleven, and then. You know, this diagnosis came in, in May, uh, rough timelines, like, but basically around May, so about a month later. And um, it was like a stage four form of liver cancer, didn't have much time to live. And so I, I left that, went back home to be with him and my mom and, and sort of help care for him during the last months of his life. So I did that. It was obviously in a pretty, you know, dark and, and difficult time. Not like, I mean, you know, dark because it's cancer. I, I think I, I was mentally fairly tough about it, but it was obviously, you know, not saying I would want anyone to go through, although I know unfortunately many do. And uh, after he passed in October of 2011, I went 
about a month later to Las Vegas uh, to kind of decompress and, and do something sort of for me because I'd been, you know, really 24-7 helping my mom and my dad and, and then kind of grieving. And while I was there, I was playing poker with a buddy at Caesar's Palace and we were at a poker table and a, a girl walked in the room and I joked to the table, oh, I hope that she gets seated with us. And uh, then she did, which is not as easy as it sounds because there's, if you've ever played poker in a casino, they have a lot of different tables and you go see a host and the host kind of tells you uh, where to sit. And so there was a ton of tables, but she got seated at my table just by luck. And somebody at the table asked her, hey, what do you do for a living? And she said, I'm a writer. And I wanted to talk to her because I just thought she was really beautiful and uh, had an attraction to her right away. And so I said, what kind of writer? And she said, I'm a copywriter. And I said, wow, copywriting, how interesting. And under the table with my iPhone one or whatever I had, uh, I Googled what's the copywriter because I had no idea. And nice. um, yeah, that was that was the start of, you know, however many years now, 12 years later and a billion dollars in sales. <laughs> but um, but it started right there. And uh, I don't know if you want to pause at points or if you want to kind of keep keep going with it. I could do either or. Well, I, I, I guess I guess you talked about 12 years and how much money. Um, did anything else yeah. happen with this young lady? <laughs> well, yeah, and she became my my wife as well. So that, wow, uh, so you won you yeah. won on both sides. That's pretty cool. It, yeah, it was a pretty uh, pretty life changing event for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, so you Google what it, what is a copywriter? Where does it go from there? <laughs> yeah, so I see that it's about writing advertisements, and I think all right, great. And then uh, I had applied and, and took a, ended up accepting a job in South Florida with a um, big consumer packaged goods company. And so it didn't start for a month. So I spent like a, another month or so in Las Vegas, living out of cheap hotel rooms, playing poker, uh, winning enough money to kind of be able to stay. Cause I was really very broke at that time. And um, then I took this job. She came down for a weekend that weekend turned into, Hey, I don't want you to leave. You know, I don't want to leave either. So she just kind of, we moved in together very quickly. And I'm doing this job where I'm driving around South Florida. It's like an outside sales job. And uh, it was like a, really like the best job I ever had. I, I was getting paid essentially the equivalent of around 40000 a year salary. They gave me a car, a brand new Ford Escape with a card, like a gas card that I could use for personal use as well. Um, oh. You had benefits, all this stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, and yet I kept trying to do like entrepreneurial things and, and kind of like having business ideas. And then meanwhile, too, I'd come home after like a long day and, you know, she'd be in her underwear, like drinking a beer and like she made $2,000 that day and I'd only made like 200. So eventually I was kind of like, you know, I want to do what, like what you're doing. Do you think that, you know, could copywriting be a thing for me? And uh, she was like, yeah, I should try it. So I said, okay, I, I wrote a, an ad, the first piece of, of copy, which again, for those who don't know about copywriting, it's really just a rain of advertisements. So the first advertisement I ever wrote was um, selling my own services. I posted it on this website that was called uh, Warrior Forum. I think it's still around. And it basically was like, hey, I'll write, you know, sales copy for you for, I think it was like $149 or something like that. And I had her look at it, obviously, to make sure it wasn't a disaster. And then I went to bed, I woke up the next day and I had, you know, whatever, the $297, $298 in my PayPal account. And I was like, that was like the feeling of, of winning the lottery, right? It was like, oh my God, because until then, I, even though I saw her making money, uh, you know, until it happens to you, you saw that level of skepticism of like, is this real? Is it really, will people really pay me all that? And so um, 
that created a monster, I guess you could say in a good way. I mean, I, I basically quit my fortune, there's a fortune 500 company and I quit the job like within, I don't know, two months of that happening and uh, just went into the road of, of freelancing. And, and early on it was, uh, you know, it was a struggle sometimes. It was great because I feel like I had all this freedom, but I definitely had all those sort of dreams that I can be on an airplane, you know, writing copy or like a beach anywhere in the world. I'm going to travel and like, like, yeah, that part can happen and it's cool, but there's also the part where you're like, crap, I don't have enough money to pay my rent and it's due and, you know, I better find a client real fast or go sell something, <laughs> you know, which I which I did early on, right? It wasn't like I magically found, uh, you know, kind of freelancing and, and just like, I'm like, was, a, you know, a nonstop upward trajectory. It was like, I, I had success, so I was getting clients, but I wasn't charging a lot of money. And, and so, you know, it took a good period of time to kind of figure out um, how to, to, to you know, and I figure, figure out how to charge more, but also to get the skills that may be deserving of charging more too, right? You got to kind of put in the work, of course. And so um, eventually I did figure that out. And, uh, you know, in addition to doing copywriting, I would do other stuff for people. Like I like built websites and SEO, really whatever they needed and, and whatever, I could do to bring enough money and and over a little bit of time i really ho honed in on copywriting uh started writing for some direct to consumer companies uh that uh, had a lot of reach and and was able to start generating a lot of sales for them and um you know we can we can pick we can go into any part in more depth but basically from there uh eventually i started my own supplement company that i scaled to like eight figures in revenue in the second year uh, but made some crazy mistakes uh and you know, since then, um, have have been involved, whether as an owner, investor, partner, or advisor, to a lot of different direct response kind of oriented companies that have generated a lot of uh, a lot of revenue and and also help freelancers and business owners and people to to scale online with direct to consumer as well. That's a very abridged version, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's perfect. So let's uh, so let's just dig into. Obviously, you introduced the the idea of copywriting is is basically writing for for advertising and now of course there's there's different levels right you mentioned the email that you sent basically saying i'd write your email but really copywriting can include website copy email you know an email campaign social can be included in there and then of course actually commercials are copywritten right i mean the copy that people are speaking and so videos can be a, an element of a, a level of copywriting what What's your favorite? What's your niche? And and what drove you to that? So yeah, great question. A lot of what I do is um, I do a lot in the health niche. So uh, a lot of like health and wellness, supplements, fitness, uh, things of that nature. I sort of just fell into it. I think there's two parts to it. One is that I'm sort of a contrarian person by nature and always have been. So I always had a bit of a a distrust for the status quo, let's say. And so when I found like that there's a whole industry where it's sort of like, uh, you know, alternative health, let's call it, um, that, that resonated with me because, um, and I thought it was interesting. I also got to do a lot of research there, right. You get to really learn. Um, it's funny cause I was not a good student for like science or math classes. And like, in fact, I had to retake biology, but I guess when it was like learning about stuff I was interested in and getting paid to learn about, suddenly being on like a website, like from, uh, you know, the national health services or, um, places like that and reading about these different mechanisms in the body and learning, you know, it was actually very, I'm like, wow, I'm getting paid to learn 
uh, how, how kind of cool and interesting is this? And um, so, yeah, I really fell into that and, and, and I got done all of types and all categories and niches, but that, that's one of my, my strongest and, and most consistent ones. And, um, and then really longer format. Cause I enjoy that where it's sort of like infomercial style or if it's online, sometimes like, you know, we refer to sales letters or video sales letters, but really it's like online infomercials. Uh, and I enjoy those because, you know, they're, they're, the average script's length is probably about 6,000 words up to sometimes as much as 10,000 words. And while that's like a pretty harrowing thing, I guess, on one hand, it's like, you can really do a lot. You have a lot of room and you can be creative and you can really educate a consumer, uh, really tell a story, really build rapport. And, um, and I'm kind of a long-winded guy anyway, so I got it just works for me. Like, you know, like TikTok is not my friend because it's like, supposed to keep everything really short and like, ah, like YouTube where I can ramble for 15 minutes much better. So I guess I like longer format copy for that reason too. Nice. All right. So, um, we're, we're coming right off the beginning of the year here and, and chat GPT drops and, and the whole world, well, half the world thinks, woo, it's the greatest thing ever. The other half is freaking out saying, you know, our basically intellectual properties gone and lost and, and AI is going to take it all over. Um, so I guess I wanted to get your opinion of chat GPT and, and, and how do you see it impacting the copywriting world? Yeah. So I think it's going to have a, a well, not, it's going to have, and it's having a massive impact. Uh, I am very, very bullish about it. I feel as though it's creating one of the most exciting opportunities in our lifetimes, at least in like the last decade or two. Uh, maybe since the internet, right? Um, as far as like for innovation, for uh, creativity, really it's, it's ushering and unleashing a whole you know new era of creativity. And uh, that being said, I think there will be some, there was disruption, it's a disruptive technology. And, and that includes with, you know, copywriters and not just copywriters, but content writers, content marketers, video producers and video editors, voiceover artists. There's a lot of people whose jobs are probably at risk right now, but I, I feel like one, if you're really good at what you do, then you're, you're probably pretty safe because generally these are tools that in they're, they're you know, using AI enabled processes and like, you know, um, to be more effective, more efficient, to work faster. I think those things are, that's really what is happening and will continue to happen. So I think it's really those who were often in these professions for the wrong reasons. They don't really have a passion for them. They don't care. They're just trying to, you know, make money, which is nothing wrong with needing to make money and, and wanting to, you know, need to, to keep a roof over your head. But at the same time, I feel like if you, you know, the, the bottom 80% as far as like enthusiasm and passion and like really uh, professional care are going to be in a lot of trouble. But I think the those who get into the top 20% are going to really thrive for the next couple of years and beyond. And and then on a more macro level, I mean, not to sound like I thought about this more, but it's like when you're in an Uber, you don't sit around like crying for the taxi drivers who lost their jobs. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't mean it doesn't mean it doesn't suck for them, but you don't, you know, it, it is it is what it is. And there's there's all these new opportunities. So I think for people who I would embrace it, I'd learn how to like, you know, I think you can you can earn way more money whether you're a company or an individual, like a freelancer uh, or contractor or whatever. And then, you know, beyond that, and, and yeah, I'd look for new opportunities um, that, that are going to arise because of this. Because for, yes, jobs will be displaced, but there's all kinds of new jobs that will come in uh, to fact. Especially, you know, one very obvious example 
is really people who are great integrators and good at systems and processes and project managers and managing workflows, all these sorts of things, because like, all right, great. Now with AI, I can have exponentially more outputs. I can produce tons of ads, tons of videos, tons of content. But I, if I don't have a good system in place for actually like organizing that, deploying it, tracking the results, then what, what good does it do me? And in fact, I could become very overwhelmed very easily. So I actually think that, you know, there's gonna be a war of for operators and integrators. They're already very popular for visionary entrepreneurial types like myself, but I think now so it's gonna really go into hyperdrive. And so if you can start developing those skills now, you're probably gonna be in a really good place for the next five years. And there's plenty of other examples of that as well. Nice. I, I, I like your perspective. Um, like money, it's a, it's a tool that, that, that can be used, that can be used for good or for, or for evil. And, and yeah. the people that are worried about it taking their jobs are the people that are short-sighted and, and in panic mode, kind of like the taxi drivers. And well, if you want to stick with your old traditions, then, then you're going to get left behind. And so it, I, I appreciate that the idea of, you know, this is a great, I mean, it's like the internet, like embrace the internet and let's see where yeah. it takes us. And now of course, you know, kind of like the iPhone 2009, boom, you know, is this a good thing or a bad thing or, or are we going to embrace it and see what kind of greatness it can bring us or freak out about, you know, this device that everybody can't let go of now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, it's, it's a very good analogy there as well. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, obviously your, your girlfriend at the time had some connections. She was making $2,000 a day and, and doing some things. What did you need to do to, to create connection, to create opportunities to, to bring in some leads when you made this leap? Yeah. Great, great question. And um, I guess that I would even qualify. It wasn't that she made $2,000 every day, but she would have days where, where she. Sure. He got a super rich girlfriend. It was like, you know, but she, but you know, she, she would make like $10,000 in a month, which is, a, a, you know, a, a very good amount of money to make. So to this day, obviously, and especially for me as the guy who was making $200 a week prior, I'm like, Oh my God. Right. Well, but, she's um, it sitting at home, right? Yes. Yes. Even more. It's like the dream. Right. Um, but yeah, as far as, um, you know, a couple of things, I guess, like one was, you know, going on, on I went on freelancing platforms, like um, what today is Upwork at the time was Elance. And I really tried to treat myself as a, a professional from the beginning. Um, I really looked at myself, I still do, as like being in the customer service business. And so this is such a little thing, but it made such a huge difference where uh, I would you know, meet deadlines. Seems really, really simple, but copywriters are notorious for not meeting deadlines. Um, I would proactively communicate. I would send a nice customized cover letter to each thing I applied for, whether it was copywriting or building a website or whatever, and, and sort of explain like why I was the right choice. I'd be like, you're going to, you know, undoubtedly get lots of candidates. Here's why, you know, uh, they aren't, they can't hold a, can a candle to me. I would usually be too on the higher end of the the bidding so say that the average like it was like a 30 dollar an hour job i'd like coming at like 40 or 50 an hour um and i and I, my close rate was extremely high if i go back like i, I i'm sure it's like really in the top one percent of freelancers who ever use those platforms um and even though i didn't have a lot of experience but because i would i think because i charged a higher amount but i communicated why it was worth it um i communicated expectations really what you could expect when you worked with me all these like sort of things and then provided great 
customer service. So that led to a lot of referrals very quickly uh, because people, you know, would be really happy. I really worked hard in each job to make sure it was, um, you know, that I did a great, great job for my clients, but also uh, I gave them a good experience, a good customer service. So they would then refer me to people, refer to other people. And that was really valuable. Uh, the other side of that was also going to live events, which I think is so important, like networking and just being in the right rooms with the right people and, you know, going there. And, and that's still to the stage thing that's really important to me. I do a couple of live events per year with one of my, my masterminds and um, I attend other people's events and all these sorts of things. And like that, it's both in the short term, you can get clients and opportunities and things, but also the long tail of that is incredible. Like I can't tell you now that I've, I've been in this industry for, you know, 11 or 12 years now, like how many people that I've sort of met someone at 20 in 2015 at an event and we stayed friends and we see each other. And then like, you know, six months ago, they randomly hired me for saying and paid me $50,000 or like, you know I mean, like things like that. And it's like, you know, so just having those, that network and those relationships and understanding that there's a real long tail to that. Um, if you, you know, value those relationships and it doesn't mean like, I'm not actually that great at like maintaining, like, I'm not the guy who's gonna send you a thoughtful note in the mail. Right. I wish I was, but I'm not that guy. I'm like occasionally I'll send a text, but, but even just like see being there, showing up, being at events, being in the same rooms consistently, you know, with familiarity, there's the whole know, like, and trust thing. Right. And so the more people are seeing you, the more they know you, like you and trust you, uh, the more they want to do business with you. So, uh, yeah, that's another really important one, I think, in addition. Uh, so how, so yeah. how, obviously you mentioned, I don't send them notes. Maybe I send an occasional text, but how, how are you making a connection and, and why is that connection, you know, bigger than, you know, just seeing somebody in a room? Yeah, I think that, I mean, I want to like, I, I don't, for one thing, and I, I advise like people who are earlier on on this as well, because some people I think get networking wrong where they, it's sort of like, hi, here's my business card. What do you do? Can we have a transactional relationship? Right. And it's sort of like, it's immediately puts people on the defensive and all of that. Whereas, you know, for me, I would really try to build like friendships first and just get to know people, uh, you know, find common ground, things that we were both interested in, whether it was related to business or not. If I had, you know, something of value to add professionally, or, you know, if I had an experience or had experience somewhere, uh, I would be happy to share very abundantly, um, you know, hop on calls with people, things like that. And, um, and really, I think that's one of the biggest parts of it is just like, get to know them as like friends. And then, you know, if you're, you're good and they'll, they'll get to know you and they'll know what you do and they see your track record and things of that nature, then, you know, it, they'll ultimately want to want to work with you. And then also I think not being afraid to publicize or share your wins, you know, there's an art to that too, like the humble brag, but, um, you know, it's definitely good. I mean, I had a post maybe a few months ago where I was talking about all the crazy stuff I'd done in the last like six months. And, and, I, and to be completely honest, part of it was like remind people like, hey, I'm, I'm relevant. I'm here. I'm, I'm doing big things. Right. Because like I think it's important, and you know, especially if you're kind of like have a bit of like a thought leadership space, you want to kind of let people know what you're doing. But it was like I even put like, you know, I don't want to you know feel like I'm bragging or whatever. But I guess you know, you're my Facebook friends and you know, friends are supposed to be happy for each other on their accomplishments. So I, I guess I'm going to have to assume you'll be happy for me. Here's all the cool stuff I have going on. And then everyone's like, well, I'm really happy for you. But it also kind of took away, it was like it preempted like that sort of feeling of resentment. So, um, and I got like a crazy amount of engagement and multiple people tried to hire me from for things based on that and, and all this. So, um, you know, I think, I think being 
because even though same people you met the events that you're friends with, they're probably at this point your Facebook friends or they follow you on Instagram or whatever it is. So even them, it's good to remind them like, hey, I'm out here doing great things. So that you're top of mind when, uh, you know, when they need something that you happen to be good at. We will be right back after this short break. Are you an entrepreneur who started their business with purpose and passion only to lose sight of it amidst the daily grind? We understand how frustrating that can be. That's why we're offering free strategy calls to help you gain clarity on the barriers holding you back from achieving your dreams. In just 30 minutes, our experienced coaches will work with you to identify obstacles and develop strategies for overcoming them. There's no commitment or pressure, just a chance to get some assistance and clarity you need. Scheduling is easy. Simply visit smilingcall.com and select a time that works for you. Let's jump on a call and build your business together. It's time for you to add value and achieve your full potential as an entrepreneur. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. Well, and, and it's important that there's a level of authenticity necessary in, in that, right? I think that's a huge part in, in my space, you know, character and, and authenticity. Um, and of course we've seen, you know, plenty of people that are renting a car and a Airbnb for a weekend and, and using it to take all their social profile pics to try to convince you that they're at a level where they're not. What's the value of being yourself? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's everything. Um, I'm very much like that. That's very important to me. So for my own like, kind of personal brand, uh, you know, authenticity is huge. I mean, to the point where that the same, the girl from the poker table, my wife, like her and I uh, separated at the spring of last, I guess, spring of um, 2022. And we then were able to kind of actually reconcile and we got back together. But I really thought we were probably going to get divorced. And, and, and you know, fortunately, we didn't. Um, but like I shared that on like Facebook, on Instagram and with my email list. And it wasn't like a, Hey everybody, look at me. But it was just like, Hey, you know, like I'm going through this right now, which I know seems like pretty extreme, but I wanted people to like to know, cause especially for, for, I guess, again, I'm like, I, I joke that I'm like, I'm niche famous. Right. So I'm not famous in general, but this very little niche of like kind of direct response, direct to consumer marketers and copywriters. I'm famous for that. So this universal audience of like a hundred thousand people. Like I'm famous for them, which is cool, right? I'm very blessed and happy about that. Uh, I don't really want to be like, you know, celebrity famous because I don't Kardashian, know. Kardashian, you, anyway. you know what, Kardashian? <laughs> I'm good, I'm good, right? Um, but even so, you know, you you what you find is there are a lot of people who then do kind of look up to you and, and other sort of, you know, people who are, again, I'm not trying to sound self-aggrandized, but public figures. Um, and, so, and so many of them, to your point, show you the edited story of all the good, and none of the bad. So even with like my email list, I'll, I, I was going through, I have an email list, I'll send out emails almost every day and like talking about, you know, how I to like clean up dog poop. Like, you know, I like, sometimes I was like on my hands and knees, like clean up dog poop. Cause like, you know, like, and I like, and how like um, when I have a bad day or I feel stressed or overwhelmed or if I have cash flow challenges, which I've had, like it's like not like you, know, like everybody, not like, like endemically, but like, um, but just being real about it. Cause I think it's important for people, like even that post of the wins. I was like, and here's some things I failed on. And it was like, you know, I wrote this for this client and it didn't do well. And I really thought it would. And it, it stunk, right? I did this. Like, and so showing both sides, I think it just resonates so much with people. And um, and even in marketing, I think, you know, one thing I, I was just talking to the copywriters in, that are one of the programs I have. I basically have one program for business owners, one for copywriters. And 
I was saying to them how like, even for copywriters, they get taught with like direct response type of copy to like dismiss alternatives. What ends up happening is they start writing and they're like, you know, I tried diet and exercise to lose weight and that didn't work at all. And like, you know, it's actually the worst thing you can do. And it's like, no, it's not like, what do you like? Shut, shut up. Like, no, of course like diet exercise is good. Like you don't need to lie. People aren't dumb. Like don't lie to them. You know, you can be like, and like, and yeah, that definitely helps. And like, I want to keep doing it, but I found like sometimes I was busy or like it was hard to stick with a diet. And so, you know, when I found the supplement, it helped like, you know, in addition to what I was doing, like you can, you can be real, but people feel like they have to lie for no reason. And so just understanding, even with your removing the personal brand side, just like, you know, be, be real with people. Even like when you say something, a big claim, but it's true. You can be like, Hey, I know what you're thinking. That probably sounds like BS. I totally get it. Right. But like, you know, I promise I'm going to prove it to you and, and whatever. So just being, being real, I think more than ever, people want authenticity and, and both with, with individuals, but also with brands. I mean, um, people have like relationships with, with brands more than ever. And so, you know, yeah, just being authentic is, is so crucial and it's easier too, right? That's the best part. It's like, it's actually way easier to just be honest in yourself, like warts and all than it is to try to portray and keep up some image all the time. Uh, like that's actually exhausting. So it's way better to just be super real about stuff. Yeah. So I thought of Russell Brunson's, you know, throw rocks at their enemy, right? So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so diet and exercise is clearly an en enemy that's easy to throw rocks at, but it's also an effective strategy for, for the people that are disciplined enough to use it. So, yeah. uh, so funny. So obviously you, 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 you mentioned that you're niche famous. So let's talk yeah. about the value of that niche and, and why it's so important to, to be in a, in a narrow workspace. Yeah. I think that like, you know, and obviously there's some sub niches within there, but like within the world of copywriters and direct response marketers, uh, you know, being well-known in there, obviously it leads to a lot of opportunities for me and it helps me to have a lot of impact as well. Right. So you know, with copywriters, if, if I want to help, this is a lot of credibility more than anything, I think that comes from, from being niche famous, but to that, to, to your point, it's like, I, I've, I've had interesting thoughts about this over the years because like I've made some pretty good investments. So I'm like, Oh, I could be like, I'm an investor. Right. And it's like, cool. But then that means people, it sounds good. Right. But basically people are going to come to me all the time, asking me for money. Like, right. that's actually not that fun. Like, you know, I'm like, I'd rather be like, oh, like, I'm really good at helping other people make money. And then people come to me trying to give me money. Right. So thinking through like the consequences of those things is actually quite important. When you're an investor, people might be like, oh, cool. I want to be like you. But they're not as like likely to be like, you know, let me hire you. They're like, again, oh, cool. I want to be like you. But until then, can you give me money so I can become like you? Right. So, um, so it's saying, yeah, it's saying valuable about, about, thinking about the niche you're going to be in and then your positioning within the niche as well. Um, and yeah, there's different values to those. I mean, an interesting thing is with the copy starter, which is like my, um, my mastermind slash like kind of training program. You know, we started out with business owners and it was great. Uh, you know, we're doing a couple million dollars a year, a really high margin um, with a bunch of, of direct response business owners um, all doing between like seven and nine figures per year. And, was like not a ton of work. Awesome. Then my business part of the time who I bought out had an idea, which seemed like a really good idea. And I don't mean this sarcastically. I, I thought it was a really good idea too. So I don't blame him, but it was like, what if we do like a light version? That's like 
significantly cheaper and they get like 80% of the program, but the parts that are really time intensive, they don't get. And it was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. So we did it and we made like, you know, we booked like an extra million dollars of revenue in like a month, right? Sort of like over 12 months. And then, you know, at an event, we kind of pitched that and made another couple million dollars. And I'm like, oh yeah, we're so smart. Right. But what it turns out the people who were coming in were more like copywriters and they were earlier on in their journey. They were like beginners. So then they actually needed a whole different set of, of, of things. They, they had a whole, all different problems. So they need help getting clients. They're like, well, let me see your copy. Oh, your copy's not good. Oh shit. We, pardon. Oh shoot. We need to help you <laughs> no with your, uh, your copy. Right. Like, so then we're, so now we're over there helping them so much and all these business owners are like, well, I guess this isn't the right place for me anymore because like, you know, now I see people posting, oh, I just had a 10K month. Like, oh, like, you know, how should I negotiate this client? And they're, they're like the client, right? So they're over here like, like, what am I doing? So we started to kind of lose the market share and positioning there. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I didn't want to lose that market share. And that's one of the reasons why I ended up buying my business partner out of, of the business. And then now I've kind of got two different, very distinct programs. So one's for the copywriters and one's for business owners. But it was a lot of work to have to rebuild the social capital with business owners because it's crazy how quickly people, you know, they're like, Oh yeah, that's the thing for like freelance copywriters. And you're like, no, 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 it, it was for business owners and it's for business owners again. And they're like, yeah, yeah, freelance. Co- I'm, not, I'm not a copywriter. So I don't know how to join. Like, no, no, it's not for copywriters anymore. Right. And so it's a really good lesson. I guess it's interesting because you, it's good and bad because you can, you can shift or pivot and, and you can reposition, but also it's very, it can be hard to build market share and very easy to lose it if you're not intentional. So kind of interesting, I guess, the lesson I learned as well. Well, and the unintended consequences of something that seemed good, right? And yeah, sometimes those are hard to measure, hard to see. Um, but a, a lot of things in, in the entrepreneurial space are really experiments. You're testing something and having a willingness to, to try it, learn from it, and then recognize either good or bad how do we make it better? Right. And I think the best entrepreneurs are the ones that, that they're willing to try it, test it and change it. And absolutely. And that really allows your business to, you know, when you recognize, Hey, this is taking away business from our, our higher end, (laughs) we're hurting ourselves. (laughs) And and even though we're making money here, it's ultimately hurting our brand um, to, to be able to, to have to restructure that and recognize, you know, the cost, both, you know, in, in repairing the damage, but also in, in having to restructure it. But yet in the end, you've got something so much better for both verticals. Absolutely. Yeah. And in the hundred percent. And I think um, I'm very willing to do that. And I think that's a strength of mine. I mean, of course, sometimes it's a weakness because sometimes you maybe want to pivot too much or, or, you know, you, you don't put enough thought into the pivots, but I try to be thoughtful at this point in my career. But, um, but yeah, I think it's really important, but I'm also, yeah, I think, I guess like I always say that I think a hallmark of, of entrepreneurs is like just, you know, unbounded perennial optimism generally for every one famous pessimist you hear about who's successful. There's like, you know, 10 optimists who were, who were successful. And I think that's like, there's a reason for that. Cause it's sort of like, I always believe that, the best is yet to come. And that it doesn't matter if I had a terrible day the day before, or I had like a phenomenal day the day before. I think that's important too. Cause it's not like, Oh, I had the best day yesterday. Can't top that. It's like, man, how great tomorrow's going to be even better. Right. Or like, man, how crummy that day was, but tomorrow's gonna be like way better. And, um, 
And so even with pivoting, it's like, I don't worry about it. Cause I think there's always the worry of like, well, what if these things happen? And like, you're like, yeah. So what if it happens? I'll deal with it. Like that's part of like, you know, being a human, being an entrepreneur, being resilient is like, um, it'll be fine. You know, like, like buying out my partner is, is not, turned out to be a really great decision and great for him too. Right. Cause we're, we're still friends. Like I, I love him. And, and he really wanted that like lifestyle business time freedom. I don't think it would have really, yeah, I paid him seven figures. He's a happy guy, right? He got a bunch of money. Um, and like, and he's out doing his thing and loving life. And like, and, and, but I couldn't have made the shifts and changes that I think we really needed to make had we stayed partnered. I think the business probably would have failed instead of now having like a rebirth. And so, um, but you know, but it kind of, there was a period of time where it kind of sucked because I paid him all this money and we didn't have many business owners. And I, I basically destroyed the, the copywriting thing to rebuild it. So, you know, my, my income and the cash flow went like way down as my, these payouts went way up and, and going back to like the cash flow challenges that can arise. Right. I'm like, Oh man, where'd all the money go? Um, <laughs> but yeah, but then you just get through it. You're like, Oh, that stinks. But like you, you get through it, you figure it out. Like, you know, we're, we're so resilient and it's like, you know, the whole exercise of like, what's you can play it. I heard Tim Ferriss talk about this back in the day, but I'm sure there's that as well, but you're like, what's like the real worst case that happens, right? Like, Oh, everyone, leaves the mastermind and we lose all the money. Like, okay, well like then what happens? Well, I mean, I might have trouble paying my bills. Like, okay, well then what happens? Well, I'd have to probably really hustle and go get some clients and, and do these things, but I'm pretty sure I could actually pay the bills. Like, well then what happens? Well, once I was comfortable again, I'd probably actually start a new business. And you know, when you do it, you're like, what, like, what, okay, like who cares? Like, I, I think you just have to be, um, but yeah, it's not for everybody. I get that. But I, I'm, I'm very, I'm very comfortable with like, you know, the risk, I guess. And that's probably an entrepreneurial thing because, because the upside, I love the upside. So would you consider yourself an integrator or a visionary or a, a, a healthy combination of both? I, I think I'm, I'm definitely a visionary. I can play integrator a little bit. I have a little bit more tendency than the average person, which I think has helped me in some cases and contributed to some success, but I'm definitely more of I'm a visionary who has anxiety when there aren't processes, but I don't really want to be the ones to create the processes. <laughs> nice. All right. Yeah. Sounds fair. All right. So we dabble a little bit into the personal. Um, what, what's been your biggest challenge in, in running your business? You know, it depends on, on the business and the, the time. Um, you know, so it, it varies, I guess. I think like right now, I'm trying to think like, well, right now, like one of the things we're doing is with my, my I, basically after I bought out my former business partner, I bought on two um, junior or, or they were former like protégés and, and copywriters and marketers and I brought them on as, as partners in um, a variety of businesses. And one of those is like an agency, which I've, I've so I can tell you, I mean, I've, I've had multiple agencies and I've kind of like always talked about how I hate the agency model. And I kind of do. I'm very wary of most agencies because I think most of the time, you know, they are poorly run, you get a poor product from them. Um, so from a, from a business owner perspective, I'm very wary of agencies. Um, you know, and, and, and for most freelancers, I, I warn them against starting an agency because what tends to happen is like they, oh, hey, like I'm making pretty good money, you know, doing this, providing the service to clients, but uh, I'm also working a ton of hours and I can't take on any more and there's more opportunity. Man, what if I hired other people underneath me? Oh, that'd be great. Then I could just go do the sales and not have to even do the work, which I don't like to work that much. And I can just like, you know, grow from 20,000 to a hundred thousand, 500,000. Like this would be great. 
So then they go hire a bunch of people and uh, they're like, all right, do the work. All right. And then the people are like, you know, okay, here, I don't really know what that means, but here it is. And they're like, no, that wasn't right. I'll just do it myself. And then, right. so it's because like a whole mess, right? Where it's like they, cause they don't, and it's not their fault, but they've just never like, they, they've never run a business. They've never hired people. They don't have HR. They don't know how, like all these things. There's a lot that goes into it. So people, I think always have that temptation to move to an agency model too fast. Um, and there's some great agencies out there, but, but it, it often ends in disaster for a lot of people. And so I always caution folks and myself having run agencies have had some, you know, very lucrative agencies, but, but also times where I'm like, Oh my God, I hate this agency. What was I thinking? Um, and yet we're doing it again after saying for a long time, I never would, uh, where we're using sort of AI enabled processes to provide, you know, sales copy for clients and, um, but the difference I would say is, is that we're intentionally going fairly slow. Like we're, you know, we booked a decent amount of revenue. Like it'll be a seven figure business in its first year, which is, which is, I know for some people like, like amazing. And it's, it's great. I'm very thankful for it, but I think we can do crazy stuff with it. But we're trying to go slow um, because I, I'm very like adamant of like, I don't want to go book a bunch of revenue, provide negative or, or mediocre kind of deliverables and then have unhappy clients and, you know, all the headaches to go with that. Um, in fact, I mean, basically I told the guys, I'm like, I've been there, done that before. I had an agency in 2018 that like booked a ton of revenue, hired a bunch of mediocre copywriters, gave people mediocre copy um, and, you know, got mediocre results, which led to people being, some people were really happy. So obviously there, it was a mean, right? So some things did well, but some did terrible. And I was like, not doing it again. So basically, you know, we have these, values that I've been working on, which I can, I can kind of maybe share some of them, but um, it's like, you know, the first one was we do everything at an A level or it's an F, right? So there's, if it's not like an absolute A level, then it's an F and it doesn't go to like the client. But in order to do that, as we're developing, you know, we are working with junior writers. We've got all these processes, um, all these things. It's like, that means we've got to really have them super dialed in before we can scale. Right. And so, going slow can be like frustrating because I'm also a visionary quick start. Like I can see where this could be like a nine figure agency. Uh, so yeah, but yeah, that's one. Like we seek efficiencies, not shortcuts. Really important. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like, like we want to be efficient and AI enables that, but we're not doing shortcuts and shortcutting the process or the work because, you know, shortcuts lead to poor results. Um, you know, I have, I have others. I, I don't have to read off the, all these values, well, but well, really let's talk about, let's talk yeah. about the, the, the value of those of having these values drive decisions. Yes. So, I mean, I think, you know, I'm a big believer in values in general, whether for a company or, or, you know, your personal life. And when you have the right set of values, it's like a compass or a map. I mean, that's not an original thought or idea. Ever from, <laughs> like Stephen Covey talks about it, like all kinds of people. Right. Um, but, but it's true. Because you don't get lost as often when you can go and reference your values. And then not only having values, but really ranking your values too, right? Having like a hierarchy. Because there's going to be things where a situation arises that leads to a conflict of your values. So how do you decide what to do unless you've actually weighted or ranked your values to understand which one's at the top? If you've done that, and then you kind of see, well, like, what is like, uh, what does the highest ranking value that's relevant say? And you go with this, it actually makes decision making a lot easier. It sort of acts as like a crucible and a clarifier. Um, and then for your you know, personal life as well, right? Having those, those values. And, and, and I guess the other part to really think about from a personal perspective is that um, 
your values do do change. Because I, I don't know when I was younger, I thought they didn't, but they do. So when I was in my you know early twenties, like freedom was my highest value, and a lot of freelancers have that as a high value freelance, right? But um, freedom's still cool. I still do like you know the idea of freedom, but it's like not nearly as important to me as like impact. Impact's significantly more valuable. Uh, you know, I have like a, a daughter, and I've got you know my wife, and I've got people that I am a leader to and having an impact is just something that is way more important to me than like the freedom to go fly off to like Tahiti tomorrow for two weeks. I don't really care like about that because they said I, I could, I guess, you know, and, and, but that's not that valuable. Um, so understanding that your values change. So even for somebody maybe who's listening, who perhaps has done an inventory of their values, like I'm 37 now. Right. So I, I didn't, I did my values in my mid twenties and then like last year kind of reevaluated and was like, Oh man, like, there's actually, we need to make some, some tweaks and adjustments here. And so I think, you know, that can happen for a company as well, but, but especially on the personal side, uh, take at least every decade, you know, like I think taking time to reassess your values and, and see if they still align with who you are is really important. Well, and then making sure that the company's really using them, right? Like, I mean, Enron yes. had values and integrity yeah. was their first, and yet yeah. they were lying to clients in order to increase cash gains. And, and so you can have values, especially at the company level, but if the company doesn't use them regularly, doesn't talk about them regularly, doesn't engage them in their, in their decision-making or explain, Hey, the reason we made this decision is because this value is our most important and it's, and it, and it really makes a difference. And I think, um, like you said, if you don't review them and you don't use them or, or reevaluate them every you know 10 years, then, then they're not really helping you in your decision-making. Yeah, and it's a, a really crucial point. I'm glad you brought that up because, yeah, of course, it's like you can have the greatest list of values ever, but if, if you're not authentic or living to them or hearing them or they aren't, you know, disseminate throughout your company or your organization or, your, you know, your personal life or whatever, um, and then you don't, again, you live them, right? Because as a leader, you have to embody those values first. You can't give people a set of values for the company. Like, these are these are it. These are like, this is our, you know, our Bible, our Ten Commandments, and then you're off doing complete opposite things. Like, so you have to be congruent. Right. And, um, and that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Here's a, here's a fun question. Was your most memorable date with your wife? Oh man. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think, I want to go, I want to expand the, the ages now to think of like, what would be, Oh my gosh, that's a good one. I, you know, I'm going to give you like, That was gonna be the most memorable one. Well, like it's, it's a, a funny one, I guess. Which was like last year. Um, this is not that good of an answer, but I took her to like see, uh, like basically like Die Hard done with sock puppets for like a Christmas thing, oh, nice. and she just was like, "What the hell is this?" Um, I was like, "I'm like trying to like surprise her, like it was gonna be this cool surprise," and she was just like, "You know what? Are you? Yeah." And then we got separated. No, <laughs> they're not related, but. Uh, <laughs> Was, uh, oh, that was man. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's funny. All right. Yeah. So typically I let the guests share their words of wisdom to, to end the show. So Stefan, what would your words of wisdom to the entrepreneurs listening be? Uh, you know, I think I'll give, I'll give two. I think we're entering an, an era of, would there be actually an increased value, uh, of in short-term thinking, but I'm going to qualify that because it sounds like a horrible thing to say. So here's what I mean, right? I, I think you still need your your vision and your long-term vision 
you know, for yourself, your life, and also your company and your business, like, right? Like where you want to go. Um, you want your principles and your values and things that help to guide you in that direction. But what I mean by short-term thinking is because of AI and the amount of new kind of platforms that are coming out, technologies, interfaces, you really need to shift your thinking to how much faster things can get done. There's sort of this, this idea I, I, I've been using, and I'm sure I didn't coin it, but I, I didn't get from anyone else, but like exponential efficiencies, right? Because you can sort of like do things exponentially faster and exponentially more efficiently. And so given that, like while you still want your five-year vision, when it comes to like tackling specific projects and things of that nature, if you're being AI first or, or, or AI enabled, you have to shift your mindset to like, I could probably do this in three months or six months instead of a year or two years or three years and do it very efficiently. Um, and so and it also helps you be, say, adaptive, given that there's going to be all these changes, right? Because if all these if you're like, this is my five-year set in stone, how things need to go for my business, and then all these changes are going to be happening at an increasingly fast rate, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. But if you're sort of like, okay, we're going to do these sprints, we're going to hit these milestones, and you really focus it and work that way more, I think you'll be in, in better shape with what's to come. So uh, that's a really big one. And then the funny paradox of that is that at the same time, never lose sight of how you know, time is really on your side generally as an entrepreneur and, you know, things that maybe like, I guess I'm thinking it was one investment I made like a year ago almost. And it felt like sort of challenging at times here. And then I just was talking to the guys and, and it's like, looks like it's going to be like extremely successful. Um, you know, we'll see a lot can happen. Right. But it's like, and so, like, oh my God, it was only a year, but during the that year, it was times where you're thinking like, it's sort of like all, you, you know, you kind of feel like, all this doubt and all this kind of stuff. And, and so sometimes it might take five years, but remembering that on a longer, long enough horizon, if you're doing the right things and the right processes, you're going to generally get the right outcomes. So those would be the two big things. Stefan, thank you so much for joining me today. What a fantastic, I learned a ton about copywriting and running a business. And so I hope our audience enjoyed their time with you. Yeah. Thank you, Robert. Really appreciate you having me on. Thank you for tuning in to this episode brought to you by the power of intentional decisions that lead to massive action. Those aren't just buzzwords. They're qualities that can help you take control of your life and build a successful business. To support you on this journey, we're offering you our most popular survey to help you establish a baseline. Visit enjoybizlife.com to check it out and take the first steps towards changing your life and business. We often make things more complicated than they need to be losing sight of what's truly important. This tool will help you refocus on what matters most so that you can start doing the things you've always wanted to do, like spending quality time with loved ones. And if you enjoyed this episode, please show us some love by liking, subscribing, or leaving a review. But most importantly, share it with someone who needs to hear it. In our next episode, Robert has a conversation about business growth with Travis Steffen who has found a passion for taking ideas to profitability and then to exit. He shares the value of building a business with a growth strategy and an exit plan. His success has translated into helping growth, create growth success for others, and he shares powerful tips for making that happen.